Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Today I want to talk to you about faith that finishes. And I I want to use the picture of a race, running the race, because the Apostle Paul compared the Christian life, the writer of Hebrews compared the Christian life to a race that we run. And we can see clearly in the Scripture that that race is not a sprint, it's not a hundred meters or a hundred yards, it's a marathon. And so we're going to talk about the marathon of what it means to run in our walk with Jesus, or not our walk, our race that we run. And uh, we're going to talk about the fact that only faith in Jesus will help us endure and finish the race. Only faith in Jesus will help us endure and win the race and finish the race. Uh, I want to show you some scripture texts, and I'm going to have to move really quickly. But 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. In the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, they would receive a wreath when they won. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now I'm going to skip down to first, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and I just want to give you a little bit of backstory and context here. This is the last letter the Apostle Paul wrote, and this was just before he died. And according to church history and tradition, the Apostle Paul died under the reign of Emperor Nero by being beheaded. So he had his head chopped off. So just before he's getting ready to go and get his head chopped off, he wrote 2 Timothy. It's his last letter. And this is what he says toward the end of the book. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So we see in one place Paul says I'm running a race and I'm staying disciplined so I can obtain the crown and now we're at the end of his life and he says I finished the race and I've done it and I've got a crown waiting for me and I'm, I'm going now, I've completed it and that's what I know God wants for all of us and I, I want to tell you over the years one of the things that has been interesting to watch and sometimes discouraging, has been watching, not not just my own life at times when I stumble and I struggle, but watching people who've begun the race and have stumbled or fallen or who have gotten off the course or who've grown weary in well-doing or who got their eyes on something other than Jesus Christ. They've got their eyes on other people who have disappointed them, or they've let life circumstances or a besetting sin or whatever hold them back and keep them. And I've seen people right toward the end stumble. And my hope is for every one of you in this room that you will complete the race, and you'll win the prize, and you won't stumble. 
Now, you're going to stumble, but I mean, you won't fall flat. You won't get off the course and run a different course because there's only one course in Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, in the first two texts, he's describing the necessity of running with purpose and discipline. In the last text, he's about to die, and he's assured that his running has produced a victory and the crown he sought. And uh, I, recently, I, was, you know, I woke up in the morning, and I did some devotional time, and then I, it was actually on Saturday of last week, and I, I looked at my news feed, and I noticed that a man named Elud Kipchoge, or Elliot Kipchoge, had just done something no other human being had ever done, and that is he'd run a marathon, 26 miles, 385 yards, in under two hours. Now, I just want you to think about that for a minute. This dude ran 26 miles, three. 185 yards in under two hours. It's never been done. It's considered one of the greatest accomplishments ever. He's a humble farmer, and it was a special challenge race, so he didn't run against other runners, and uh, it was sponsored, and he broke a barrier that some said would never be broken, and I'm going to show you what happened in the clip, and I, I want to I, I say he ran alone but he didn't really run alone. So I'd like to go ahead and roll that clip, and I want you to watch what Mr. Kipchoge did. This is pretty profound. There was no boy nearby I told my, myself. I always uh, believed in myself. The happiest man to run under two hours in order to inspire many people, to tell people that uh, no human is limited, you can do it. Together, you can make this world a running world. And after making a running world to uh, this world, you can make this world a beautiful world and a peaceful world. Actually, my wife and my two children are giving me more support. I'm happy for them to come and witness the history. The 41 pacemakers are among the best athletes ever in the whole world. I understood to appreciate them for accepting to do the job. We made this trip together in this one. In my mind, I know that I feel like my dream has been realized, especially 500 years ago. That's where I really put the confidence that I raised it. I'm happy for him, for what he has achieved. He's actually inspired all of us that uh, we can stretch our limits in our lives and uh, we can do more than we think we can do. grace with which he does it I think is the most important part of this whole story is that he's so um, he's such a humanitarian he has such great outreach to to the general public and for for me I'm just grateful that he's taken on this task for the cameras to be on him and to and to win fans for the sport 
to me, he's a complete marathoner, having world record, Olympic title, world title, winning the big city marathons. For the sport, it's challenging other young athletes and uh, athletes that are still active that they can stretch and perform better than they think. For the humanity, whatever level you are in, you can move yourself to another level. Now, one of the things that struck me as I watched that, first of all, it doesn't count because as he was running, they used pacers. So a group of pacers would come along and run for a few miles with him and keep him at a really, really fast pace because they had a certain mark they had to hit every, every mile. And he ran 434 average per mile that entire time, which is just lights out amazing. Um, and the other thing is, is that they came along with special, you know, drinks for him, special food for him. He had people all along the route that were helping him out. He had a giant crowd cheering him on. His wife and his kids are at the end of the race, ready to hug him and, and embrace him and bring him in. So I said earlier, he did this on his own, but he didn't. And you'll notice, of course, and, and this is just normal for athletes, but you'll notice over and over again, the emphasis on, is on what he did and the strength he had and believing in himself and all of those things. And my word to you is that we're not going to get to the goal we need to get to by believing in ourselves, right? We have to put our faith, we have to put our trust in Jesus Christ because He's the one that has already won the race. And here's the beauty. He lives in us. He's the great marathoner and He's running in us and He wants us to know that it's His intention that we cross the line and receive the crown and get those things that God created for us. Amen? So there's some of you here today that are in a time in life when maybe you've felt like you want to give up. Maybe you feel like your marriage is, I can't do it anymore. Or maybe you feel like life, I can't do it anymore. Maybe you feel like that job, I can't do it anymore. And you want to throw in the towel and endurance to you sounds like hell. And quitting seems like the only option. And what I want to tell you is there's a race for you. There's a prize for you. There's a reward and a treasure for you. It's not God's intention that you fail in this race. It's not God's intention that you ever lose heart ultimately and, and stray from Him. It's God's desire that you run the race and complete it and receive the crown. Amen? I, I, I just say this with me. I haven't been created. Come on. I haven't been created to fail. You don't believe it. I can tell. You've been created by God to win. Yeah, I know in our sinful nature, the sin within us brings failure, but we're not failures. Paul called himself, he said, greater is he, or John said, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Amen? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We've been created by God to ultimately win the race. But sometimes what happens is we get going in the journey and we, we get discouraged. We get wore out. We get tired. And I want to share a few thoughts with you. And I, I'm, I want to tell you because of time, I'm skipping a lot of what I want to share with you. But I want to take you to the book of Hebrews. And here's my first point. And it's we encountered, when we encountered Jesus, he gave us faith so we could endure the race. When we came to Christ, he deposited faith in us that we might endure the race. And I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews. And let me just give you a little background. Hebrews was written by we don't know who. 
It's one of the only New Testament letters where we don't have, it is, I think, the only New Testament letter where we don't know who the author is. Some people think it's Paul, some think it's Timothy, some think it was Apollos, some think maybe Barnabas. We don't really know. But um, it was written to Jewish followers of Jesus who were being persecuted because they'd begun to follow Jesus. They had turned from Judaism and they'd become followers of, of Jesus. And as they began to follow Jesus, it got tougher and tougher on them, and they were being persecuted, and some were losing their homes, and some were being thrown in prison, and, and so they, be, they got weary in the race. The persecution had been too much, and they started to um, kind of, you know, move away from Jesus back to Judaism, and they began to believe that, you know, if we just observe the laws and keep the feasts and do all of those things again and do them faithfully, that we can get the pressure off of us and we can kind of mix Jesus with this Judaism and we can put it all together. And the truth of the matter was they were departing from the faith. And so the writer writes them and he says, listen, look at Jesus. Jesus is better than angels, better than the old covenant, better than Moses, better than the law. He's better than all of those feasts. He is above and beyond them all. He's the fulfillment of all of them. All of them were a type, a shadow, and a symbol of who he is. And if we embrace him, we get the whole nine yards. We get the whole thing. And so he's telling them to look at Jesus. And I want you to notice what he says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 through 39. He says this, but recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance." So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, you know, we read this text and we see what Paul, or what the writer is saying. I always say Paul. But what the writer is saying is after we encounter Jesus many times, we experience suffering. We experience difficulty. And the sad thing is we live in a time and in a nation where people will tell you, if you just follow Jesus, everything will go good. You won't have any hardship. You'll just be blessed all the time. Blessed coming in, blessed going out. You'll be prospered in everything you do. Nothing will ever be hard. You'll never experience a difficult life. Suffering will be left behind you. That's not the truth of the gospel at all. The truth of the gospel is you embrace Jesus, you encounter him, and sometimes the first thing that happens is you experience great resistance. You experience difficulty. We know the scripture says that when the seed gets scattered by the sower of the seeds, that the birds of the air, satanic presence, comes to eat and devour the seeds. We know that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust for everything, other things comes to choke it out. We know that persecutions and afflictions are like the sun rising on shallow soil, and they burn it up. We know there are things that we face. There are battles that we face. There are difficulties that we experience. And their, their purpose is to get us away from Jesus Christ and get us off the course and choke out the faith that's inside of us. Sometimes the things that mess us up are good things, distractions, things that come along in our life. They're not bad things. They're not sin. They're just things that distract us from keeping our focus on Him. 
But then the other thing we learn through that suffering is that we can have compassion on those who suffer. And this text says, after we encounter Jesus and we go through suffering, we learn to have compassion on others. How many of you have ever found that, and I've seen this in my own life, when um, I've, I've gone through seasons where everything's going kind of good, and I'm on top of my game, and I'm not really struggling with anything in particular, and it seems like my life is blessed, and I'm kind of going along. I can, I can, if I'm not careful, I can start to kind of look around at other people and be like, man, what is up with them? What's their problem? If they just did this, that, and the other thing, right, the three things in life that people need to do, right, I just wish they knew what I knew. Now, now you would never consciously say that, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking it, and then life goes like this, and you find yourself on your back looking up, and either you got whacked by sin, by some besetting sin in your life, or you experienced the loss of someone or something that was precious to you, or you just you went through a hard season in your job, or you found all of a sudden you woke up one day and it was like, I, I, my heart's become cold. My heart's become hard. I don't even burn after God anymore. I don't even care about Scripture or God. And it's like the Lord awakens you to the fact that you've become self-righteous and cold and hard. And then you go through a season of suffering and you emerge out of that suffering. And what happens? You find yourself like you hear somebody's going through a hard time and now all of a sudden you're coming alongside of them. You care for them. You have compassion for them. Your level of judgment has just gone way down and your level of empathy has gone way up. Anybody ever been there, done that, got the t-shirt? So that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you, you go through these things, but it gives you the ability to have compassion for people. So he says, because of that, don't throw away your confidence. Your confidence has great reward. Endure and be obedient, and a promise will come to you. Don't shrink back. Don't be a people that shrink back. And I love what the writer says. He has confidence in them. He says, we're not of those who shrink back, but those who believe. Hey, we're not of those who shrink back, but those who believe. Wait, 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 wait. We're not of those who shrink back, but we're of those who believe. Oh, one more time. We're not of those who shrink back, but of those who believe. And our trust is in Jesus Christ alone. He's the one that has run. He's the one that has won. He's in us. We're sons and daughters. He's taking us to the goal. We're going to win this race. I'm telling you, you were created to win this race. I don't care what it looks like. You were not created to fail. You were not created to turn your back on Jesus Christ. You were not created to fall down and stumble and fail. You were created by God to overcome. Now, you might stumble a lot on the way, you might trip up a lot on the way, but you're falling forward, and you're falling into the hands of Jesus Christ. His grip is sure. He's got a hold of you. He will never let you go. I feel like I'm preaching something into you right now. And then the writer goes on, and oh, Lord, help me. I'm out of time almost. Somebody say, help him, Lord. Okay. So then, then the writer goes right into the 11th chapter. And the 11th chapter is what many call the hall of faith or the hall of fame. And we see these characters in scripture, these ones who endured and overcame because they 
held on to God. They had faith in God. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. They all, it all points to Jesus. And the writer is saying, listen, you can endure and you can run the race and win it because all of these people did. And he goes on to say some of them with their faith conquered kingdoms. But then he also goes on to say, and some of them with their faith were sawed in two. How many of you want to sign up for that one? Right? We like the stories of the, yeah, they conquered, they won. But ultimately, they did. Those who died won. Right? And so after sharing that, he, he tells them to have faith. You know, that whole chapter is about faith. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's saying, hold on to him. You know, be confident in what he's going to do. Trust what he's put inside of you. Right? Others have done it. You can do it too. And then he takes us to the 12th chapter. And this is where I'm going to finish. And he tells us the only way to win the race is to keep our eyes fixed on the goal. And he shows us what the goal is. Keeping our eyes on Jesus will give us the faith that endures Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are the cloud of witnesses? All the people he just wrote about in the 11th chapter. So he's saying, listen, remember, in the Bible, there were no chapter breakups or verses. The, these, this was a letter. So this is a continual thought. And he comes to the 12th chapter, and he says, look, we've had all these people, and they've done it before us. They've gone before us. Look, you got people, some of you got people in your family. you got mentors. you got disciples. you got people that led you to the Lord. you got people in this church. you got some of the old timers. Listen, I, I, I did this um, message originally because I was thinking about Pastor Keith. By the way, he's still here. He hasn't left yet. I tell, jokingly tell people that we pray that get ready to leave, I tell them, we have a bungee cord, and sometimes it just, it just brings you right back, right? So he hasn't left yet. But I was thinking about his life, the loss of two children, the difficulties he's been through, and how he's maintained his faith over the years, and he continues to focus on God. And that doesn't mean he doesn't sin, and he hasn't struggled, and he hasn't stumbled, and he hasn't had moments where he's you know, struggled with, like, where are you, God? It doesn't mean any of that. But what it does mean is every time he took his eyes and he focused them in the right place again. Because you got to keep your eyes on the goal if you're going to win, right? So look at the goal. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, they're up there. Come on, you can do it. You can do it, Bo and Sarah. You can do it. Keep running. Drew, Rachel, keep going. Noah, Alyssa, keep going. Come on. You guys can do it. Keith and Irina, keep going. Come on. Don't quit. Yeah. Okay. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Right? He got it going. He's going to finish it right? You might think, oh, mine's kind of shaky right now. But if it's in Jesus Christ, it's a lot more solid than you realize. If you're putting your faith elsewhere, if you're putting your faith in people, if you're looking at me or others and you're hoping that, you know, like, like I see what happens with people, right? You know the story. Church leaders fail. A mentor fails. 
Somebody that you're looking up to fails, and you see people actually like, I'm leaving the church, and I'm done with God. That person, a bunch of hypocrites over there, and I'm telling you something. That right there shows that they never had their eyes in the right place. He doesn't say, looking unto Doug, the author and finisher of your faith. Right? Isn't that right? Looking unto Jesus. Now, Paul did say, follow me as I follow Christ. But look, if Jesus is going that way and I'm following him, hey, Jesus, he's my pacemaker, right? And all of a sudden, I do this. If you keep following, you're just stupid (laughs) and misguided, right? You just go, oh, wait, oh, I see Jesus up there. Hey, Doug, come on. I mean, you might go over here real quick and try to grab me and get me back on track, but you're not going to keep following me if I continue to wonder. And so looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher, the founder, the perfecter, and, and we're surrounded by this great cloud, and we have to lay aside the weights and the sins, and there's so much I want to say about each of these things, but let me just tell you, weights are things that are not necessarily bad. How many of you know that the big battle in life many times when you're walking with Christ, it, yes, sin is an issue, obviously, in all of our lives every day, but sometimes our issues are not the fact that we're doing the bad stuff in the dark. Sometimes our issues are that we got good stuff that captivates us, even things that we're good at, even things that are not bad, not sinful, but the problem with them is they remove our heart from following God. Sometimes we have things that hold us back, right? And in order for us to run the race, we got to strip them off. Now, I know that this is uh, quite a picture, but in the ancient Greco-Roman world, in the Olympics, the runners ran naked. Now, get that in your mind. Don't. (laughs) But the idea is they stripped down, and they ran without anything on them because they didn't want to be hindered. And, And God's calling us to strip off the stuff that weighs us down and fix our eyes on Jesus. And you know what those things are. The Holy Spirit will show you. He's been showing me things in my own life, things that distract me and pull me from a focus upon Him. So you got to strip them off. And the sin that clings to us. Some of us, we have those, you know, lay it aside. Now, now we, we need to do that, obviously, with the help of God, the help of the Holy Spirit. We need grace. We need mercy. We need love. We need people to pick us up over and over again. But I want to tell you something. You're going to win. You're going to beat it. You know what your job is? Keep getting up. I'm going to say that again because that was worthy of an amen. You know what your job is? Keep getting up. Amen. Your job is to keep getting up. I told somebody they came up to me after the first service and they told me that they'd sinned. They, they came up front and they told me that they'd really sinned and blown it. And they were feeling bad about it. They were feeling really bad. And they said, now I just got to forgive myself. And I said to him, you know what? If you really understood that God has forgiven you, forgiving yourself is nothing. The real thing is God has forgiven you. Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Jesus has paid for your sin. He shed his blood for your sin. The cross was adequate for your sin, more than adequate. It abundantly overflows upon your sin. There's no sin you can do that, is, that can't be cleansed by his precious blood. Claim it. Run to it. Seize it. Take a hold of it. Embrace it. Say, that's mine. You died for me. It doesn't matter how bad I fell, how far I fell, how far away I am. Your cross was for me right now. 
I remember one time after I had failed and I was feeling really condemned and, you know, I'd gone through one day, two days, three days or so, and I'm just beating myself up and I'm really trying to get back to God and feeling like, you know, almost, we do it. We feel like we almost have to feel bad for a certain length of time before we finally atone for our sins. And I was doing all this, you know, whoosh, 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 not literally, but figuratively, okay? Beating myself, crawling on my knees. And, and as I was praying, I, I was just talking to the Lord one day, and I'm like, you know, Lord, this is why you sent your son. You sent Jesus for my sin. You sent Jesus for my failure. Jesus died for that. I come to you, Lord, because that was enough for me. And I started to talk to him, like, the cross was enough for me, and I know that I need to run to it. I know you don't want to keep me away. I know that your desire isn't that I flee from you and hide from you. Your desire is that I run to you over and over and over and over and over again. That's what the cross is for. That's what mercy is. That's what grace is. That's what love is. It is without boundaries. It is infinite. And I, I was praying that way. I was talking to God that way. And before you know it, I was just like, yeah, yeah. You beat it, Jesus. You're good enough. And all the stuff I've been doing makes you sick. You understand when we try to pay for our own sin or we beat ourselves up or we dwell right down there in the muck and the mire of it. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More. Oh, yes. Is this enough, God? Is this enough that when we do that, it's abhorrent to God? Because it's like we're saying, you know, Lord, thank you for Jesus and his cross, but it's not quite enough. I'm going to help the cross. I'm going to pour more on me. And instead, we come to the cross and we see it as wholly adequate. We see his sacrifice as enough. We see his blood as enough. We see his love as enough. And we can claim that. That's how you keep running. That's how you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, right? The founder and the perfecter. That's how you do it. Beating yourself up doesn't impress God. Your shame doesn't impress God. Yes, be repentant. Yes, have sorrow, but make it quick. Don't hang out there because that's not God doing that to you. That's not God going, you're a scumbag, and I can't believe you're a Christian, and you're not a Christian, and you ain't my son. What kind of son are you? What kind of daughter are you? Oh, my goodness, I'm ashamed of you. That voice you hear, that is the accuser of the brethren in your own heart. And you just need to tell it to shut up. You say, I already confessed it. I felt bad already. I asked God to forgive me. I asked Jesus to cleanse me. And he promised that I would confess my sins to him. He would forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I claim it. I name it. I'm forgiven. I'm good. Everything's going to shut up. Just saying. And then he goes on to say, we'll run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, our goal and our prize, the author and perfecter. And then the final thing he says in the text is who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And this is where I'll finish. Think about that. Jesus looked at a joy set before him. Now, I wish I had the cross up here, but let's just pretend there's a cross right here. And this is Jesus. And there's the cross looming in its ugliness. And he knows that I got to get up on that thing willingly. And I'm going to bear the sins of the world willingly. Right? 
He looks at it momentarily, and he embraces it ultimately. Not my will, but your will be done, Father. But then he does something else. He looks beyond it. And way out there on the other side of the cross is his father and his people, a bride, a body, a new family, the redemption of creation, the fixing of all that's broken. He looked beyond the cross to a joy. And in that joy, he saw all that his death would make right. And that's how he could do it. And for some of you, and he's our model. He's the one that we're trying to follow. And for some of you today, you're looking at the cross. You, you know you have a cross in front of you. And you see that cross and it's too much for you to handle. You know there's areas of your life that, where you have to embrace God's death to it. But if you focus on the pain and you just keep your eye fixed on the pain, you won't get up on that cross or you won't take it on to yourself. But if you look at the joy... You look at the joy set before you, the reward, the favor, a new life. That's how you endure. He, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I love this, despising its shame. What does that mean? He turned that ancient, shameful torture device into a symbol of victory and love. Now when we look at a cross, we see love. We see victory. He despised the shame. He said, yeah, it's a shameful, wicked, horrible thing. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. And he cast that aside and said, it's going to become the symbol for my people for all time. Of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, was found, but was blind, but now I see. Amen? The cross is that. God's love for us. He despised its shame, and I love it. It says, and he sat down in the place of power. At the right hand of God. And I, that's a beautiful picture. He's run the race. He crossed the line. He endured the cross. He's telling us to do the same. And now he's sat down. And if you know anything about that symbolism, he's not running any longer. He's sitting. And sitting is the place of rest and security. Sitting represents a ruler at rest with his authority and his power. He's our pattern. One day we're going to sit with him. Even now, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that we have been seated with him together in the heavenly places. Our position right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your position is you're sitting with him right now in the heavenly places. So we're both running and we're sitting. And the Bible says we're walking. Did you know that? We're doing all those things simultaneously. It's kind of weird. And now we run to bring many others with us into his kingdom. We run and we help bring his kingdom here. And as we approach the end of our race, he rises to cheer us on and welcome us. Let me just remind you of a quick story in the Bible. Stephen, the first martyr of the church. I love this picture. As he's dying, they're stoning him to death. And he's been preaching an amazing sermon. And they're stoning him to death. And as he is dying, he says he looks up into heaven and the heavens are open and he sees Jesus but Jesus isn't sitting. He's standing. Isn't that profound? And he's going like this. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but read between the lines. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen looks up, what does he see? Jesus standing. And Jesus is looking at him. And I bet you Jesus is going, come on, son. You've won. You did it. You gave it all to your last breath. 
They're stoning you and they think they've won and they think that they're killing your voice and they think that they're killing my movement and they think that they're stamping it out and they don't realize that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and they're just planting a harvest and more and more are coming into the kingdom because of that. Come on, boy, you can do it. You can win. You're crossing the line. Welcome. Amen? So, I have to wrap this thing up, don't I? Listen, fix your attention on him today. I just want to ask you, stop right now and think in your life. What has pulled your attention from Jesus? What has taken your focus off of him? What is it? Is it a person that's failed you? Are you battling with unforgiveness towards someone that's it's hurt you? Is it a besetting sin in your life? And you can't beat it on your own? I love Kipchoge had to have pacers. He could have never done that without the pacers. He had people out there running. I'm telling you, you need to grab a pacer and say, look, you're running with me here. Help me. Walk with me. Pray with me. Stand with me. Amen? What is it that's keeping you from being able to run your race? Or maybe you're here and you've never started the race. You might be here today and you haven't begun. What do I mean by that? Maybe you're here today and you've never really understood the gospel. You've never really understood the message of the cross and of Jesus. And today while I'm speaking, you're going, oh, okay, I get it. I'm done doing life in my own strength and my own energy. I'm done letting sin win and beat me all the time. I'm done with my shame and my guilt. I'm done with doing it my own way. Remember Frank Sinatra saying that song years ago, I did it my way. It's the stupidest song I've ever heard. So lame. I want to sing, I did it his way. Amen? I did it my way. What a joke. It's the problem with our time, right? I mean, so many people think that the whole thing is about your self-expression. Listen, your self-expression, you'll never find yourself until you look at him. You know, people that go off finding themselves, I'm looking for myself. Good luck. The more you go to look for yourself, the less you'll find yourself. But if you find God, if you find Jesus Christ, if he finds you rather, then you find your true identity. You'll never know your true identity as a son or a daughter of God until he becomes your central focus and point. Amen?